This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Who Killed Amy Mihaljevic? On this week's episode, I will be discussing and concluding the case of Who Killed Shakira Johnson. My special guest of the week will be one Levon Putney of WCBS New York. He was the man that I followed around as a cub reporter slash intern back in 2003 when this case first broke. And Mr. Putney has more insights into this case than I had ever imagined. And I'd actually written a script for this week's episode, but his insights were better than my script. So I am going to play this interview in full, and I hope you guys enjoy it, because it really does help set the atmosphere for what it was like during the time that Shakira was missing and what it was like after the acquittal of Daniel Hines. So join me this week as we discuss who killed Shakira Johnson. Hello. Hello. It's Levon. Hey, Levon Putney. Hey, How, are you? How are you, buddy? All right, man. How you been? I've been great. I've been, how about yourself? How's uh how's the big uh, apple treating you? Oh man, it's doing well, man. I can't complain at all. Working just sitting overnight. up here watching Shark Week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, working the vampire shift nowadays, man. I've been doing that for I'm probably close to five years now. Yeah, I just started doing that at uh, News Five. Um, oh, doing, cool. Yeah, so I started doing that in the overnights on weekends. So, uh, do so. Okay, what you doing over there? So I'm a line producer uh, at the moment. Oh, and, that's cool. Uh, yeah, hopefully, uh, like I did work for, uh, I was an investigative producer for Carl Monday for a while. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. How you doing? Uh, that was back in 2008, so that was about a decade ago. Oh, okay, ago, okay. So it was a while ago. Um, I just was one of the victims of the downturn, so I'd spent about oh, hell yeah. a decade out, yeah. of the, out of the media. That was about then. Yeah, 2008, yeah. Yep, it was uh called the office, and uh, along with twenty other people, it was sweet. <laughs> oh damn! Well, hey man, we all land on our feet. So I'm glad you have, and glad everything's working out. Yeah, we uh, definitely uh, it's been a circuitous route, but uh, back to where I want to be, and I'm happy doing what I'm doing. And uh, I did the Who Killed Amy Mahalovic podcast, and that generated a lot of buzz, and yeah. a lot of downloads, and ended up on ID Channel and probably got me this job at channel five. Oh, and, that's sweet. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it was, oh. uh, it was very, very successful. And, uh, I got a lot of great interviews too, with the father and the chief of police and, and all the different. Uh, oh yeah. Well, the chief of police at the time. No, well, the chief of police now. And then he was the officer oh, the that spoke with, uh, Amy's class the day that she actually went missing. So he's been on the case. Oh, since damn. Art. And then the other guy that I interviewed yeah. was Torsney, who's the guy who caught Whitey Bulger. 
And uh, he's involved. Yeah. yeah, so man, he had some freaking stories, and uh, it was it was pretty it was pretty cool. It was, I mean, it's that, it's been good. That Amy Mahalovic case that was back from what the seventies, eighties, or something 89, like that. Eighty nine, when I was like, I was her 89. age. Eighty nine. Okay. Yeah, I was her age, so like a lot of people. I don't know. I just think a lot of people, my generation, and the few years I remember ahead, that name. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, especially like yeah. the missing posters and all that stuff, and and uh, that's not what we're actually here to talk about. But uh, do you yeah, remember know, covering? Yeah. Uh, do you remember covering the Shakira Johnson case? I mean, I mean, oh I, hell yeah, man! I mean, it's been you know what? Oh boy, time flies. Fifteen, fifteen, sixteen years now, you know. But I mean, you know, now it's more or less like those images and little flashes of things. You know, I remember, you know, standing, uh, waiting. I, I can't, and I was trying to rack my brain to remember if they found her body that day or was that one of was that the false alarm? When I just remember standing out like in a clearing, like in a park type place with some other reporters, and just seeing the family in the distance. And, you know, stuff like that. I remember the, shoot, I remember the Amber Alert angle um, because I, that was, I, I remember family and some of the activists, I remember them, pissed off about the, you know, Amber Alert not going off for this case and, mm-hmm. and having to do that go between me as a reporter. I remember talking to police to, you know, get that angle out there. So why that didn't happen? But I remember that. I remember, you know, the talking to the activists, the family once or twice. I can't remember how many or if it was just once. Um, yeah. So, you know, a little flashes here and there. Yeah. And I mean, we went and I know that you and I together interviewed the commander McGrath at the fourth. McGrath. District. Yeah. He was. Uh, yeah. He was a cool dude. Yeah. He, <laughs> he ended up seeing him in a wedding like years later, just the most random spot i'm like what is he doing here <laughs> but, yeah it was uh it was definitely a an interesting time now like god that happened so that happened in the early september september 13th now when the amber yeah. thing the big thing that i noticed when i was doing the research on the case re-researching the case was the fact yeah. that they did issue an alert for somebody two weeks later under similar circumstances that, you know, and it's like, well, it's still well, doesn't why then, but yeah. Yeah. Um, I remember the reasoning was something to the effect of they didn't have the description of the man, you know, and, and for an Amber alert to trigger, you know, you need to know who is taking you know, and there was that. They had a description of the car, yeah, you know, and they felt they saw her in the back seat. Um, shoot, but I I can't remember their description of where the man was, but I remember police saying, you know, that's something you need to know who is taking for, you know, for them the issue. That's um, weird. Doesn't that seem sort of like a, I mean, I guess it, helps in getting the answer but shouldn't the fact that she's missing still be out there i know yeah and and the well on the end of it being out there you know it was because remember how much we covered that story oh, and, and yeah. was that a was that around the time or right before you know we started talking about 
uh, Amanda Berry and Georgina the Jesus. It was a couple uh, years. I can't before. remember. It was like three years before. Yeah, I think that was. Yeah, yeah, and you know, so with Shakira's case, you know, yeah, you know, you wanna, and you think about the spirit of Amber Alert. You think that, yeah, why not? But on the other end, when it comes to policing and the law end of it, you know, I guess I can understand why they need more specifics. Uh, because you don't want those false alarms to turn into some kind of, you know, maybe, you know, pitchfork crowd coming up to somebody who they think may have been that person. Um, or when it gets to court, uh, if, you know, it gets to court, then you're talking about, uh, you know, m- maybe, a, maybe a description that may or may not be reliable. And that's what you cannot have in court. You know, it may not even be admitted, so it'd be a waste of time. So I get that in, but yeah, you know, just what you're alluding to with the question itself, I totally get it from, you know, the family, the neighbors and everybody in that neighborhood. Because remember, that wasn't the only case where in covering that story was the first time I realized, oh man, there are a whole lot of missing kids. There are a whole lot of missing girls specifically that they were, that people in the neighborhood were trying to, you know, bring out. And it says she's not the only one. And so I remember that. Um, and I, so I, I totally get it from that angle of the you know, neighbors, people in the community, especially the family saying, man, we have a description. Why not put that out in an Amber Alert? But like I said, I get it where police and prosecutors are coming from, too. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the, the reporting and the defense of the not using the Amber Alert you know, I think one person said that, you know, they didn't want it to become one of those crying wolf type things where people just ignore exactly. it. And it's like kind of like, it's true. I mean, how often do you just walk past a car alarm or, you know, you hear a car exactly. alarm going off and it's just like, whatever. Yeah, you, you just passed those. Right. And see, if if an Amber Alert was subject to, I don't want to say vague descriptions, but general descriptions, then exactly what I was just saying that, you know, you, it becomes, and just think about the amount of missing persons cases. There are a lot, right. And if we started getting those Amber alerts for those types of descriptions, Oh man, you know, it would be exactly the effect you're talking of that. We, you think that it would become that, you know, that, you know, people would start ignoring it. Um, So yeah, I get it. You need some descriptions there. And they set the bar that you need to know who took. It's a slippery slope. And I, I get it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, but I get it because that is more of an admissible thing in court. You know, and, and that has to be remembered. It has to stand on a legal end, too. And, you know, it's just one of those tough things which, you know, it didn't apply in this case. And I certainly understand where the family's coming from. But like I said, I, I go back to I didn't. I, I didn't fault cops or prosecute. Well, it, it's up to the cops, the sheriff's department to, uh, you know, trigger that. And I didn't fault them for that uh, because if nothing else, like I said, man, we covered the hell out of that story. Right. And, you know, all of, all of the local stations and papers. And so, you know, plain dealer, man, they did a great job. So it's not like the word descriptions and everything about this case was not out there. It was just a matter of, yeah, that extra thing at the moment, that Amber Alert, you know, became who knows if that was. Yeah, yeah, that was a certain side angle, yeah. And if you look at the 
the history of the Amber Alert, I mean, it really was still kind of new at the time. I mean, it was one of those things that had been, yeah. you know, invented in Texas, but it wasn't nationwide, I don't think, until, you know, 2000 or later. So, I mean, it was still, they were still figuring out how to even properly use the thing, the device, I think. And, uh, I mean, you yeah, yeah. over the years, I think. I, I mean, I know that seeing it on road signs and, you know, the whole, I mean, the system itself is great and it does generally lead to a good result. But uh, I think at the time people just latched onto that because of the, you know, right. the, ra- the racial side of things. And like, um, yeah, you know, it's yeah. one of those, well, why didn't you do it for Shakira when you did it for the girl from mm-hmm. when you did it for that girl? And I, you know what? I, I can't claim to, I remember vaguely remember, people being upset but i can't you so until you brought it up i've forgotten about that uh and once you brought that up yeah i vaguely remember that people were ticked about that uh in some case later yeah, uh, but it's just weird because it happened just so quickly after and shakira was still missing at the time so it was yeah like but the it put the police in a bad spot because they had to they were forced to basically defend not using it and then the other people had to Mm-hmm. you know say well you know we used it right. just not work this time but we will uh you know it, it just was weird it was just weird and yeah uh, the time of it all yeah. it, i didn't realize it either until i was doing the research and i came across the article about the about that case and and the headlines were about the difference why you know the tale of two amber alerts i don't i think that was the title mm-hmm but uh oh okay it was just it's just interesting and then yeah. how quickly they actually zeroed in on a suspect yeah daniel hines and you know i if to take the investigation at his work because i know prosec- i mean the defense ripped them to shreds in the trial <laughs> but to take to take the you know investigators at their word man, it's hard to see why it would not be him when, you know, you found the evidence of, I, I think they were saying blood. I think they were saying uh, like the bag that, mm. you know, they had trace evidence of, if not Shakira Johnson herself, it was something, uh, his car. They had, had, fi- had uh, fiber evidence. upholstery uh, that matched his van yeah. found by her body. Oh, okay, okay. See, and you start adding that stuff up. And that's why I remember at the time, once he was the suspect and all this started coming out, then, you know, it almost seemed as if, all right, well, looks like they may have their guy, you know. And once they started talking about the, you know, other cases of him with underage girls, mm-hmm. you know, then it's like, well, hell, well, who else may be out there? And, you know, who is this dude? But, man, you know, it was hard to see that case not panning out. And it didn't. And I, I don't know whether to blame the judge for not allowing some, some stuff in the trial, um, no. you know, or, you know, the jury just, hey, you know, you have to have a re- beyond a reasonable doubt. And, and evidently there were some. You know, in in that group of twelve, and so I, you know, man, that was something else. But 
I mean, we were at I know that there time. Were also, I, think that... I was going to say, we were also like running mm-hmm. on that reasonable doubt. You know, that was, that was like kind of the, the thing at the time. You know, it's kind of, oh, you know, yeah. It's gotten better, you know, but I mean. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, look, if you're prosecution, you have to go into a case like this understanding, yeah, and, and the same thing with defense. You have to understand what the other side is, is going to key in on, what they're going to try and do and say with the evidence. And, you know, I, I don't know what happened with uh, prosecution or, you know, even if, and they did point out, defense did, that, you know, you never know how things could be transferred as far as, you know, trace evidence. And it apparently worked. Uh, but, I, man, once that trial fell apart, you know, it was almost feeling as terrible for the family as it was when I, you know, just seeing them, just seeing their reaction when Shakira was, when, when she was found, Right. you know, and, and, you know, I can't, like I said, you know, trying to remember back to 16 years ago, man, time flies. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you can't remember all the specifics, but no. I, I can remember, I, I can remember, you know, feeling I, I can remember tearing up one, and I I just remember that clearing where we were. I cannot remember if that was when they found the body or if it was a false alarm, but I just remember watching the family in the distance, watching the mother. She was pacing for a second, but then would stop and talk, you know, like she was talking to relatives that were standing there with her. And I just remember at a point just thinking about the girl and thinking about the helplessness of that mother, and I just started tearing up. You know, I, I was right there in the middle of, you know, other reporters, and we were just standing around watching and waiting mm-hmm. but you know just to think about that at that moment you know it was just one of those things that you don't forget um because there have been a few stories and i think i can remember most of them when you get like that you know to that emotional level where you can actually feel like you just have that much sympathy for what you're watching and hey you know um you're human that was yeah, yeah, you know, um, but it's, yeah, that's one of those things where I think it teaches you and you kind of grow as a reporter because it, and I think that's a very good thing to feel, uh, to feel feelings, you know, because mm-hmm. I think it, 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 then hopefully you start searching for a way to relay that to the audience and because you want them to feel that too. You want them to feel the helplessness and everything that you're seeing. And that made you feel that way. And um, I, I just, that's, that's the one thing that I took from Shakira Johnson, that case. Um, and there have been a few where, you know, you, you get emotionally hug the mm. mother. I remember that, the, an officer who they got a marker for him. He had gotten killed some 10 years prior to that. And the mother talking to her, she just broke up and, hugged. you know, it's stuff like that. You know, you remember those moments, and definitely with Shakira Johnson, I just remember that I can't remember if that was the first time, but that was damn sure one of the, the first times that I actually felt that emotional to where, you know, I, I can't imagine what they're going through, but man, I could just feel just by watching them, I just, it was just a terrible thing to have to, to see. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's absolutely tragic just to hear your description of it i can't uh i can't imagine being there when the verdict comes down and you know he's found not guilty oh man 
Yeah. I know. I don't. I, I'm pretty sure I did not cover that case. I mean, uh, I covered the case, but I, the verdict when it came in, uh, I would imagine I would remember that, but I cannot remember if I covered. I don't think it was because I, you know, just looking back, just reading back over the trial, I just saw an article this morning on that, and I think they said that came down on a Sunday, mm, and yes, it did, right it, yeah, so. That there's likely not, but you know, we used to call people in, you know, so, but I would like to think that I would have remembered had I covered, but I don't know. I don't know. I really can't say, um, but I just know, just thinking about it, like, damn, really? He got off. Um, because you know, everybody figured, Hey man, they have this guy. Dead to rights. you know, they yeah. Said, they said after the, the, you know, after the verdict, there's nobody else, like, don't expect us to go after anybody else. Like, yeah, yeah, because they, they, you know, police felt they had their guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't know, you know, but the, in, another interesting part about that was prior to Daniel Hines being named, mm-hmm. I, I just remember covering and, and just talking with folks in that neighborhood, if not those activists and the relatives. Hey, man, there were all kinds of, you know, people guessing as to who, and there were speculation, there was speculation about the family or, you know, some other people. So, you know, until they, until police keyed in on Hines, you know, there there wasn't really a clue, a definite clue uh, around that neighborhood. So, you know, once he was named and, and everything about him and, and the other, the underage girls and all that stuff came out. Then I think every, I think most people settled on, okay, yeah, that's the guy. And maybe police had it right, you know, and it's, I guess, good if he, is he still locked up? Because I think he, is he yeah. still locked up on those yeah. other things? I believe he still is in jail. Yeah. And so he, prisoner. So, you know, he knows the answer to that, whether or not he actually did kill Shakira Johnson. And if he's in pen, if he's in prison right now, at least he is where he's supposed to be if he indeed did kill her. Um, I know the police sure did present some evidence that damn sure added up in my book. But, um, you know, evidently the jury didn't have that beyond a reasonable doubt that they could go with it. Well, unfortunately, you know, uh... He was released on July 11th. He was released? Yep. Oh, well, that's interesting. You mean, like, as in earlier this month? Yep. Oh, wow. Yeah, talk about timing. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, he served his full time. Man, Shakira Johnson. Well, yeah. It hasn't been that long now. <laughs> Jeez, if you hadn't, yeah. And like I said, man, Bill, time flies, man. Um, but you know what was one of the funniest things, too? This happened, what, 2003, and I came here mm-hmm. to New York in 06. And not long after, when I got when I got hired here, you know, I was covering New Jersey for the mm-hmm. station. Okay. Um, and not long after I got here, I had to cover a story in Perth Amboy, a uh, town in Jersey. and. I remember the mayor's spokesperson's name was Shakira Johnson. And 
after yeah after I, after I, I forgot if it was a news conference or just a one-on-one interview or whatever but you know i went up to her and i said you know what <laughs> a few years ago i was in cleveland at a station there and there was a girl she was like i heard <laughs> no way i heard yes yeah, she had heard from I think a relative had told her that you have the same name as this little girl in over in Cleveland that got killed, you know, and they don't know. Yeah, you know, they, so she knew about that case. She knew about that case, and man, that case traveled with me. <laughs> uh, but even to this day, you know, every every once in a while, especially when it comes to missing girls, and God knows there've been too many of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I always remember Shakira Johnson and I, I, I guess it was one of that, I guess it was that first type of case that way that hit home to me. Um, but I'm sure I'm not the only one. Yeah. I mean, um, I know that I was only an intern and it was the first time I, I, you know, I saw anything remotely close to being, you know, being that close to the actual family and the situation and just going with you to oh, man. cover these press conferences and stuff like that it was just it was one of those yeah real now i life-changing moments yeah cleveland was a different beast i I don't know if it was the time or if it was cleveland as opposed to uh to compare to you know once when i was a reporter covering new jersey (laughs) i was covering the state for the station and the things were more trolled as far as scenes as far as you know access to what you can see at at a you know, at a crime scene when you cover those stories. And, you know, Cleveland was a different beast, man. I, I was on, I, I remember, you know, uh, two or three, two or three times standing up over dead bodies, you know, and I mean, within a few wow. feet. I, yeah, that, we didn't, we didn't have that access in Jersey. I mean, we don't, I could say that now, I, I doubt unless you beat them there. And maybe that was what it was because Cleveland being one city, you know, there were a couple of times, and I remember one Saturday, I actually did meet, like, the first cops that had gotten there. I'd been out. I remember Carmen. You remember Carmen Angelo? Oh, yeah. Uh, he, he basically called me to let me know about this killing. And I get there, and, you know, there's a guy, uh, hard to explain, but I'll never forget. He was doubled over backwards, you know, feet underneath his body, his body back on the, I mean, on the, on the driveway. Wow. And he was just out there like that. And so the cops then found, finally found some kind of linen and put it over him. But um, that's the access you had in Cleveland, at, at least at that time. And I, you know, have been with family members who you have to imagine they were in some kind of catatonic state. And maybe it was therapeutic for them to talk. But I remember being in, you know, relatives and family inviting me into their homes and me feeling weird and scared and sad because you know what they're going through. And, you know, there are those instances as a reporter where, you know, you remember those and hopefully you learn and how to be sensitive and respectful, Uh, you know, but man, you know, all of those cases, you know, Cleveland had that type of access at, at least at that time. I don't know where it is now. But, you know, you, you know, relating that to Shakira Johnson. Yeah. Uh, 
you know, you're there, you're seeing these people, you're talking to them. And so, you know, as a reporter and you, you feel you, I think it's a great idea to feel where they're coming from, but I think the best part of that is to find a way in the stories to relate that. And I, I always think back to, cause I was, man, I was in my twenties at that time. Right. So these were all learning lessons for me too. And so I think definitely her case you know, taught how to at least think about trying to, you know, relay what you're feeling so that the audience can feel that too. Yeah. That's so much that that's so much what a, reporter's job is is to really set, yeah set the scene set the tone and uh really try to make the audience feel what the you know what the family's feeling and so how long had you been in Cle- cleveland when uh you know how many years had you been in cleveland before yeah that had been that had been three years by that point um yeah i was there for six and i got there in 2000 so yeah three years when that came along um so yeah, by that point, you know, yeah, I had uh, at least gotten to know most of the players as far as activists, as far as you know, lawmakers and police, and you know, even some of the names of people in that neighborhood, you know, as far as pastors and, like I said, again, the activists and all. Um, yeah, kind of helped. You know, at least, you know, then I would know where to go, who to talk to, and they could help you know where to go from there. Right. You know, and sometimes they can help open those doors to the family. I can't remember if I had that, um, use that kind of a connection, you know, to get a story or two out of this case. But, um, yeah, by that point, I was there for about three years. Wow. Yeah, and that, you know, when you were talking about the... uh... Gina De, Gina De Jesus and Amanda Berry case, that oh, was actually um, that did actually start in uh, Amanda Berry did go missing in April. Yeah, she was first three. So so she was that was that was that was two thousand three too. Yeah, when she so, went missing. Yep. Yeah, I, I I was thinking to myself, I'm like, this was all around the same time. Um, because, you know, when Amanda Berry went missing, I think she was missing before Georgina DeJesus was reported. Yeah, um, that was a, actually, but, it was a whole year later. Yeah, okay. And I just remember the mom, and I know Greg used to talk to, you remember Greg Saber? Mm-hmm. Uh, he he used to talk to the mom way more free. I think I talked to her once or twice, and I remember because she was a smoker. Uh, <laughs> but she was a cool, she was a nice lady, and I mean, nice you know, I mean, what do you say about somebody that's gone through something like that? And damn, think about how she died. And that was after I left when I, re- I didn't know it until they were found. And we were, you know, we we're talking and I have to tell you, man, the day that they were found, I cried. I, I, when they were found and damn, there was a third girl there, mm-hmm. you know, I actually did cry, you know, and I was with my daughter. I had her at a science center. And when I found out, yeah, I'm I'm with her, and I'm watching my daughter thinking about that, and that's what I think kind of got me a little emotional there. And mm-hmm. you know, man, all of that stuff is around the same time, and that's why I said I go back to them talking in the neighborhood about so many other girls that were missing, and that's what goes back to the speculation of they could have been sold into prostitution, they could have been 
you know, some serial killer that they're not talking to. And I remember people talking about some serial killer that might be out there, you know, and that was in the neighborhood, you know. And so you had all of that talk, that chatter, uh, in speculation before, obviously, Hines was named. Uh, but, it, man, you know, that experience, and, and I really did get off into all those missing cases. And I remember being in Georgina Jesus' room. I mean, not in her room, but in her living room, talking with her family, you know, talking with Amanda Berry's mom a couple times. And, you know, that stuff hits you, mm-hmm. you know. And, you know, it started with me as far as those cases go with Shakira Johnson and and really feeling that helplessness, that that just just sadness, and man, I told you, and I, and I wasn't really joking. That there were some days I remember going home like, man, I need a drink or four, <laughs> and I would just go home and crack some beers and say, man, I'm forgetting about this, because yeah, <laughs> yeah, and that is not the most constructive way to do it, but. Uh, man, twenties it is. <laughs> you know, and, and, exactly. <laughs> you know, but just to realize that, man, that was such an incomplete mark on the mother, and Shakira's mother died. I know it's terrible. You know, I didn't know that until this morning when I'm reading that too. Mm-hmm. Oh, damn! You know, just like Amanda Berry's mother. You know, and mm-hmm. that's the saddest thing. Well, hey, even you, Amy Olivek's mom passed away in 2000. I mean, it, it's there's no resolution man. for those. Yeah, and that's just that you're. Yeah, those last few breaths, you know, you know, at some point they, you know, what they were thinking about. Yeah, and and now I'm saying those are some terrible cases. I mean, great the end story for Barry and the Jesus. But when when they found Shakira, I yeah <laughs> yeah that, that was one of those yeah yeah so tragedy you know yeah uh, uh, I mean hopefully you know there were lessons learned from families around the neighborhoods and and yeah people you know always keep an eye out yeah people are careful but. You know, that extra set of business, you know, that extra awareness, hopefully, seeped in to kids, to, you know, to the grown-ups, too, who may have felt, because this was at a block party when she went missing, Shakira, Mm -hmm. and, you know, who figured, this is your neighborhood, these are your people, and so you don't expect that just because she's running up the street to the corner store to get something that that may be the last time you see, you know, you know, that's not even in your head because this is your neighborhood. These are your people, you know, and hopefully it just, like I said, that, that, that lesson of no matter what, always be extra careful. Hopefully that seeped in as, as, and a hard lesson to, Hopefully those kids in the neighborhood, you know, when I was growing up, I'm from Houston, uh, but as a kid back in the 70s and like the early 80s, 
our big thing was the Atlanta child murderer. Right. And this was in Atlanta. Yeah, you know, but this was in Atlanta. But it spooked the hell out of parents nationwide. And I remember that, how that lesson had my mother and mother making sure, you know, that I was within eyesight and, you know, that we were always accounted for. And we couldn't leave the street until we all had bikes and were knee deep in junior high. But, you know, that relating to this Shakira Johnson's case, like I said, man, if there are any, if you want to say bright spots in this, hopefully it taught people to, even in your own neighborhood, be extra careful. 3 a.m. The comedy horror podcast that holds weekly gatherings around the campfire. Let me tell you what you're going to get. You're going to hear stories about demonic possessions, prison stabbings, skinwalkers, glitches in the matrix, cult leaders, missing 411, night marchers, Operation Paperclip, Mesopotamian devil worship, and so many monsters it'll give Kanye West a runaway for his money. Pop and meme culture also aren't off topic. A camp where laughs and scares are constantly competing for first place. We're just a group of friends trying to bust each other's balls, find the best stories, and expand the circle in the process. 3AM, the comedy horror podcast, not for the faint or fragile of heart. Let's go. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I I think that that was definitely something that they, you know, the community as you remember, they, I mean, it was, it was amazing how much the community rallied behind the family. Oh man, that community grew into the entire city. If you remember, I mean, mm-hmm. this was a daily thing mm-hmm. and it wasn't just the East side. Nope. No folks on the West side were in this too. Yeah. And that's and, not normal for, I mean, it, it, I know Cleveland, you know, <clears throat> but yeah, it was but every, everybody fell for that. And that was, like I said, if, a woman in Perth Amboy named Shakira Johnson can hear about this case. This did seep out as, you know, a story that outside of the immediate city limits that, you know, really hit in Akron and Youngstown and, you know, just around the area. And this was a case that, that people were like, man, how, you know, what, you know, there are nothing but question marks with this case. Right. right. And so, there nothing. There were nothing but questions then, and just like now. But you know, at that time, yeah, you know, with the question marks came, man, we need some answers. So, and let's all try and pitch in to to find this. <laughs> and you just remember the searches, the people from all over town. You know, yeah, the memorials. Yeah, yeah, the memorials and everything. You know, you realize that, you know, it wasn't just reporters. It wasn't just that immediate neighborhood. It was a whole doggone city felt that. Yeah. And that one really hit home for sure. I mean, yeah. That, yeah. And, uh, yeah. And I, don't, I remember when you, you know, you, you asked me to do this. I go, all right, no problem. <laughs> and I thought to myself, wait a minute, I have to think back on this oh damn (laughs) and you know i you realize man that's been 15 16 years ago 16 years ago and whoa uh how much do i remember so let me go back oh do i really have to read this again 
Oh, no. <laughs> and then started reading and realized, oh, it just started bringing back all that stuff. And I'm just like, man, I remember. Oh, and then it started bringing back those, oh, I remember the Amber Alert. And, oh, yeah, I remember. Oh, they were pissed. You know, it started bringing all those things back. But the most thing, it just brought back the sadness. Yeah. It really brought back the sadness. Well, and I'm and sorry the, the helplessness that. That, that went along. Oh, hey, man, that's a part of the job. Right. Yeah, you depressed me, Bill. But, <laughs> but man, you know, in in some kind of weird way, no. I mean, that's that's to me, it's great because it forces you to look back on those lessons. Because you should never forget that stuff. It's easy to, man, this job, it's easy to get jaded, you know, and it's easy to just, uh, oh yeah 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 you know somebody dead you know and you crack jokes and all and it's easy to get jaded that way right but you know this kind of stuff puts you back to when you gave a damn and you know you did because you remember crying you still remember feeling sad i remember like i said that feeling talking to these family members whether you're talking about shakira whether you're talking about amanda or georgina you remember that feeling like, man, I am not supposed to be here right now. In these people's living room talking to them, ooh, I feel terrible. Ooh, and I have no answers for them. Yeah. You know, and that's the worst. It's, you, you feel like you're invading and you're ripping open wounds, asking them questions and asking them to go over this stuff. You want to think that in a way it's kind of therapeutic for them because they're allowing it. They they are willingly talking to you because in their eyes you're their you're their vehicle, their help to find them to put keeping that word out there so you can find out the answers. You're basically it doesn't take away that feeling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it it does not take away that feeling. And I think, like I said, you getting me to come back and revisit this. I think it helped, you know, keep that, you know, keep those lessons alive in your head because, you know, now I'm anchoring. I don't report anymore, so I'm detached on that level, too. Uh, and you you want to always remember that because I'm writing all these stories every night. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when these types of stories come, you don't want to be that. You don't want to be detached because that will come across to your listener. And you want your listeners to care about your audience to care about what you're giving them so that if there is a way to help that they can, or that they can feel the story itself, you know, just in case they are able to help in some kind of way. Okay. Because if people don't feel it, then they're, they're not as apt to want to care. And that's why so many people latched on to Shakira Johnson, because people came in, they would care about that. When that came on all oh, that every day, and there was, this was only a month before I think they started zooming in on, on Heinz, right? I think it was yeah. like a month or so, a month or two. It was about a, you know, I mean, Heinz was actually, I think. A few weeks. Was, yeah. They had, uh, they, he was already accused of uh, that other crime against one of his family. Yeah. But uh, yeah. he was out on bond. So when his name came up as a suspect, they convinced the judge to revoke his bond and so they actually put him in jail like a week after Shakira mm. okay so, 
that's okay. one of the ways that the defense was picking apart their um yeah theory and when it would have Shakira would have been placed in the field. Yeah. Yeah. And man, you know But the fact that knows? he got away or I mean Yeah. I you just and and that's the thing, who knows? You know, you hope to God, you hope to God it wasn't him now because he's out. Mm-hmm. And you you just hope that that's not uh, a precursor to something else that we'll end up hearing about again. You, man, you just hope. You just hope that it was somebody else. Yeah, that's all you can really hope do. Somebody else that, that is in the pen or dead and they cannot do that again. Man, but the saddest thing is that this stuff goes on every day, you know? Yeah. And as far as missing kids, parents going out of their minds, you know, and this is every day. And so, like I said, man, putting this word out there, covering these stories, you cover them and you cover another one and another one and another one. It's easy to get jaded and, and, and not, care or not allow yourself to care really because we're all humans and we you know deal with these kinds of circumstances in a lot of ways by not allowing ourselves to feel so that may help in terms of your own well-being right but the the hardest part is to realize that True care is to actually help yourself deliver a better story. And and because in the end, you want that to come through in the story so that the audience can too. They need to be on this too, because then that's what we ended up getting out of Shakira Johnson's case. And that's so many people wanted to help in whatever way, help searching, help in whatever way. If not, just put a teddy bear at at that memorial, some flowers, you know, but that's, you know, so you, you have to care, you know, but it is, it's a tough one. Yeah. You have to imagine police. Think about police too. You know, these cats, they're, they're if, if I'm the reporter standing behind them feet away, several feet away, they're the ones there. They had to deal with this case. And, how things ended up and think of them. And I, I remember talking to McGrath about that a few times. Uh, I think commander, I think Michael McGrath was commander at the time. Correct. And that was, district. that was, I think I really remember that. That was his district at the time. Oh yeah. And he did, he did get a lot of respect. I remember that from the family, from the immediate people, for the way he dealt with them. They may have been upset in general with, you know, some officers, some police um, handling and the situation in general. But I do remember that he did get a lot of respect. He, Commander McGrath, did get a lot of respect in that community just because he was there, you know, at those community meetings and all. He was front and center. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So, you know, I, but not just him, but think of the officers, the detectives that were actually dealing with those family members 
those folks, man, think of what they have to go through. And what they have to take home with them. You know, I mean, the weirdest thing is, we're talking about this right now in the back. I just last night. I'm, What's going on? In just New last York? night. Just yeah, just last night. Uh, you know, I, I had I wrote a story up on the fact that a seventh sergeant killed himself. Uh, a seventh NYPD officer killed himself this year on and that Saturday. Was the fifth since and he, June, right? And, and it was fifth. Yeah, the fifth since June. Yep. Yep. And so. <laughs> That's obviously, you know, the worst way to deal. But man, it's not so uncommon. Not in that line of work, you know. Drinking is drinking is neither. And, and that's and you know, if you're a human being, how else do you deal? And hopefully, they find some. And, and many of them have. They have constructive ways. But you know, that's why they need those those peer programs, those counseling programs, because those cats, man. They just They can't be, I mean, the stigma is just such a joke. Like, it just, just, it's not a big deal to ask for help. Like, it's, it's, it shows more strength than anything. Yeah, yeah but that's, you know, in a lot of ways, easier said than done in a lot oh, of ways. Because, you know, yeah. so many of us feel like we can handle it, man, we can handle it, man. Like I said, I'm a reporter, you know, not not nearly on their level mm -hmm. of access and, and seeing these just, you talk to some cops, they'll tell you some gruesome things, man. But, you know, even I feel the need, like I said, to go home and drink that day away. You, man, just imagine where they come from. Yeah. And then have to deal with the, the, the family, those detectives who talk them and have to and have to kind of be counselors if you're a good detective you're probably knowing that you're talking to these family members and knowing that sometimes they're going to lash out at you you have to remain steady and have to be sympathetic and have to continue to be that way even though some of those folks they they may they may lash out at you and you know you, you uh, you understand they they have it tough, you know. Obviously, not nearly as tough as the family going through it, you know. But from that outside standpoint, yeah, you know, cops they have to have it the worst. Yeah, in a crime like this, Dylan, definitely. Yeah, in a case like this, yeah, you know, because their fathers too, <laughs> right? You know, and just like you're, you a know, father. and. Yeah, yeah, you know, and that's why I said that stays with me. You know, I, I stay, I stay on her about paying attention and being aware, and you know, especially out in public. And I, I stay on her about knowing your surroundings. She's eight, right. and, and so you know, even then, there's a helplessness to it all because she goes to school, she goes to camp. You know, she right. has to live her life. You you can't bottle her up. So, yeah, you know, that, that helplessness, man, as a parent, I think that's another thing that obviously touched so many people about that within the Shakira Johnson case. And that, that help, 
bring so many people into the fold in terms of the sympathy, the outpouring, the, you know, everything that kind of got everybody around that city involved. You're so right. How old were you when the uh, Atlanta child killings were going on? Oh, man, that was what, late 70s, early 80s? So yeah. I'm about anywhere from, oh, seven. I was born in 73, so it was like late 70s. So I'm, I could be anywhere from, say, like 77. So, you know, yeah, five to 10 years old. So it stuck um, with you. Yeah, because that, like I said, was the first time that we heard of this happening. And this was in Atlanta. I'm in Houston. But, you know, this, this hit all over the country, I remember, at least, because this was on the nightly news. Yeah, pre And, yeah, you know, and once you got older, you, you had more perspective and realized, oh, what was happening? Oh, and that became like the boogeyman thing, you know, to talk about the Atlanta child murder. <laughs> um, but at that time as a kid you just remember you were restricted i had to stay in the yard that i remember until i they started trusting some of the other neighbors a couple doors down there were a lot of kids on my street there were about probably 10 11 of us on the street and it took a while for me to get to that other end of the street (laughs) because a car, well, two doors down across the street. Those are the only kids I could play with for a few years. And that was around that time. Wow. And I can't help but to think that was a big reason why. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, we had a oh man, two, four, seven down the street. We had seven more kids down the street and all we could do was wave at them. <laughs> I remember that. We used to, hey, come down here. I'm like, we can't. <laughs> you know, and that's real little kids, that's um, a, and that's not even Atlanta, other, right? But that's the, that was all over the country, Bill. That shook all families with kids because at that time, what did you have? The three networks, you know, and that was on that that story was on the nightly news all the time, right? And it spooked everybody. And, and once we got older and realized. You know, that, oh, that's why they used to keep us, you know, in the yard or next door on their on their porches across the street at Roller's Porch, you know, because they didn't want us to be out of their sight. Yeah, you understand. But that's pretty much, I think, and hope was a lesson in this. And, and, and Shakira Johnson, too. Fast forward it to that. You just hope that people, if there are lessons to be learned, that hopefully that was one of them. No matter how careful you think you're being, be a little bit extra careful. Yeah, got to take a lesson from this case, and that is definitely to keep your hopefully eyes and hopefully, you know, hopefully this is this is their Atlanta child murder, you know, around the Cleveland area. Hopefully that those kids growing up and who are now about what. Teenage, starting to be teenagers now. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, you, you know they were raised with that over them in their neighborhoods. Hopefully, hopefully they were a little bit more cautious. Yeah, between Castro taking the girls, and then yeah, Shakira. I mean, the, definitely kids in Cleveland definitely had their own boogeyman to be uh, scared of. Man, yeah. 
Yeah. Because at the time, who knew? And with all that going on at the same time, that that was it's like, what the hell is going on here? All these girls coming up missing. You know? And that's when you realize it's not just a Cleveland thing. It's a whole. It's old, man. Yes. I mean, you, you, you know, here in Jersey. Yeah. Yeah. Here in Jersey and New York. Um, you know, I live in Jersey too, (laughs) but yeah, so I I drive over to Manhattan every day, but, um, no matter where you are, Bill, it's the same thing. And I do remember up in Detroit, same thing because, the current stories here in Jersey, I remember there was a link. It's sort of like a, a human trafficking pipeline between Chicago, Detroit, and on to Jersey in this area here in New York. And, you know, that got me to thinking about all these other girls, these other cases, Shakira Johnson and Amanda Berry. And at that time, I think that was before they were those, the three were found in oh, yeah. Cleveland. You know, but I remember that thinking, man, who knows if those girls are caught up in this, you know, and that, that even came to my mind at that point. And so, yeah, this is everywhere, no matter where you go, Bill. Yeah, this is a sad reality. Got to be vigilant. Oh, yeah, and yeah. Aware, but even aware. to say that, even to say that is know that no matter how careful you can be there, there are those moments where you can get caught slipping. You can, you can be overpowered. And that's when the helplessness of the situation becomes, you know, stuck in your head because think about it, no matter how big and strong Arnold Schwarzenegger is, (laughs) somebody walks up to him with a 38. Well, those huge muscles, those guns he had on his arm won't compete. Right. Not, not with that gun. Mm-mm. Yeah, you know, and so and no matter how big, how fast, how careful you are, there are always those moments that you can get, you can be gotten. And that's a scary thing to think about. And I think we all can and so, think about those moments in our lives, too, where we've, like, slipped up or done something stupid and kind of are lucky to... Yeah. You know, and I, but for the grace of God, man, yeah, you know, and, and you have to, you have to feel fortunate. You know, it's just too bad that we, in a way, have to latch on to these types of stories because they are, there are those lessons, there are those reminders, and you hope that it serves as least, at least in some kind of way to help. And and if there are ways to help, this is definitely one of them to just remind people, no matter how careful you think you're being, just be a little bit more, you know, even in your own neighborhood. Yeah. Well, you are absolutely right. And I do appreciate you taking the time to talk about the case, even though it probably brought up some, you know, (laughs) memories for you than you probably anticipated. Yeah. uh, You know, I, yeah, fortunately, I don't. I don't feel the need to go drink some beer right now. Well, that's <laughs> good. I know. You need to, I, do, I do know that you need to go. Uh, and uh, yeah, you probably have to work tonight. Um, oh time, yeah, I do. What time does your, your shift start? No, it's almost bedtime now. But yeah, shift starts at eight thirty. Oh, okay. Well, then you you get to you got to go to bed. 
but yeah. Um, but yeah, we should uh, we should catch up again. Uh, just uh, you know, just a yeah, bit. definitely. I, I appreciate you, uh, you know, joining me on the show. Well, well I hope, uh, I hope right. everything's well with you. It sounds like you're doing good. Um, just yeah, man, can't complain. Stay safe, and uh, you know, uh, and thank you again to Levon Putney for joining me this week on episode 24 of Who Killed Amy Mahalovic. On this week's episode, we discussed who killed Shakira Johnson. And if you would like to learn more, please Google Shakira Johnson Cleveland in your Google machines. So thank you so much again for tuning in this week. This case is technically unsolved, but if you have any new information, the time to share it is now. Don't hesitate to contact the authorities if you saw anything on the day that Shakira went missing, anyone with information can call the Cleveland FBI at 216-522-1400. The Cleveland police can be reached at 216-623-5400. Or you can always reach Crime Stoppers at 216-252-7463. And don't forget... Tipsters can always remain anonymous. And if you enjoy this independently produced podcast, you can help support the show and independent journalism by clicking on the donate button on whokilledamymahalovic.com. Any amount is appreciated and it helps keep this podcast running. You can also make a donation via the Venmo app with my username at billhuffman3. So if you enjoy this show, please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts because that will also help garner this show the support it deserves. So thank you again for listening, and please be safe. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweit, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects. Something is creeping in. Don't follow it down. 
introduce you to Barry Clue, an authorised financial advisor from New Zealand and a very special kind of stain on humanity. He was a very uh, knowledgeable young guy. He was a registered financial advisor. The type of guy that was bending over backwards to help you. Now you could be forgiven for thinking that Barry sounds like a great guy. And you'd be right. Well, right up until the point when you're wrong. It was all fictitious. You stole from my son who has a disability. Chris never knew. He died believing that we're all taken care of. A psychopath is somebody who lacks empathy, acts impulsively. I think there's a strong case that Barry might be all of those things, actually. To find out how Barry Clue stole over $15 million from 81 victims, subscribe to Clueless, the long con. That's Clueless, spelt K-L-O-O-G-H-L-E-S-S.